0: Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Well, good morning, everyone. We're in. I bought my shopping this morning. Don't worry. We're all right. Um, We're in the second week of our new series, looking at the book of Hosea, entitled Relentless Love. But I just wanted to pause for a moment as we start today. Because this week, we all have been impacted by the tragic events in the Middle East. And as we preach through the book of Hosea, we're talking about ancient Israel, not about political Israel today. As a church, our hearts break. And we pray for the peace and the salvation of everyone. So as we start today, I just wanted to lay that out. Now Hosea is divided into two parts. In the first three chapters, we have part one, which depicts Israel's unfaithfulness to God's covenant relationship through the lens of Hosea's marriage. God wanted Hosea's pain-filled marriage to be a prophetic picture about how he felt in relationship to his covenant marriage to Israel. So Hosea is the first book in the Bible to introduce us to one of the big themes that God is a bridegroom God who wants a covenant relationship with his people. And as the story moves through to the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the ultimate bridegroom. And we are the bride of Christ. Now, some of my most memorable talks at Birmingham Vineyard has been when I've dressed up. So at big church, I dressed up as a Roman soldier I've even, as a proud Welshman, and we're in mourning today, uh, dressed up in an English rugby uh, jersey, which was the most painful sermon of my life. So when I thought I was gonna preach on the bridal theme of scripture, I went onto Amazon like everybody else would do. And I did some shopping and I came across an outfit. Now, my mother phoned me yesterday to say, Adam, are you really going to do this? and caution me against me. So today might be the last time I ever preach at Birmingham Vineyard. I I think I look like an archbishop. And if you're watching online, my name is Mike McMaster. If you get too distracted, I'll take it off. If I start to sweat profusely or pass out, it's not the Holy Spirit. Um, today we're looking at Hosea chapters 2 and 3. And we're going to see that God has been a faithful husband to Israel. He rescued them out of slavery in Egypt, and they entered into covenant relationship with him at Mount Sinai, where he asked them to be faithful to him alone. But then God brought them into the promised land. But Israel took the abundance of the promised land, the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they dedicated it to the worship of the Canaanite god, Baal. Therefore, God has legitimate reason to bring an end to the covenant. And the start of chapter 2 is is like a language of a court scene. Verse 2 starts of chapter 2 with this word rebuke. And it's actually a word for pleading your case in court. And the verses that follow, God sets out his case against Israel because they've forgotten him and pursued other gods. But God does not want to end his covenant relationship with Israel. He wants reconciliation and restoration. He wants to buy... Back his bride. So today the title of my talk is Buying Back a Bride. I've not got three clever points. I may never have three clever points when I preach, but I want to walk us through some of the key verses in chapter 2 and see how they show us the relentless bridegroom love that God has for you and me. So let's jump to chapter 2 verse 14 and chapter 2 verse 14 starts with a therefore if you go away with nothing today when you see a therefore in the bible what do you ask what's the therefore therefore and therefore introduces an action that's the logical consequence as what's just been described and in verse 13 God says that he will punish Israel because they've gone after other lovers and forgotten him So what might we expect next? We might expect next it to say, therefore, she will be destroyed. But what comes next? What comes next is the logic of divine grace. God's grace is surprising. It's his undeserved favor. So what does verse 14 say? Therefore, I will now allure her. And bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. I love this verse which reveals the heart of the father. God is going to woo his bride back. You know, God's main way of turning us from unfaithfulness is by his kindness and his grace. Romans 2 verse 4 says it's God's kindness that leads us to change our hearts and minds. And verse 14 goes on to say that God's going to bring her into the wilderness. Now you might think the wilderness doesn't sound very romantic or alluring. But imagine a relationship that's in trouble. And the husband takes his wife on a date back to the place where they first fell in love. Now, Helen and I had our first date going to see the very unromantic Brad Pitt film, Seven. And then I, (laughs) you know, I know how to show a girl a good time. And then I walked her home through the dodgiest parts of Coventry, which was very much the wilderness. i apologies for anybody from Coventry. But God is metaphorically taking the people back to the place they first fell in love. Because Israel became God's covenant people in the wilderness at Mount Sinai. In Jeremiah chapter 2, it says this, I remember how faithful you were when you were young. How you loved me when you were first married. How you followed me through the desert, through a land that had not been planted. Today, God might be saying to you, as he says to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, He wants you to return to your first love. Your love for God may have grown a bit cold, and He wants you to come back to how it was at the start. The other thing I love about this verse is that God speaks tenderly to His bride. Sometimes a sign that a relationship is in trouble is that a couple will speak harshly to one another. Yet despite Israel's unfaithfulness and rejection of God, he speaks tenderly to her. The Hebrew literally means to speak to the heart. Today, God wants to speak tenderly to our hearts. God wants to speak words of healing and restoration today. He wants to woo us, his bride, back to him today your next step may be to draw close to him to open up your heart so that he can speak those tender words to you let's move to verse 15 because we can see from 15 that God wants to restore his people to restore us his bride it says this from there I will give her her vineyards and I will make the valley of Acor a door of hope There she shall respond as in the days of her youth, at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. God says he will give her back her vineyards, which had been destroyed in verse 12. Then there is this mic drop line. You might have missed it, but wait till you see it. That God will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Your version may say the valley of trouble. Now let's rewind the story a bit and get to the book of Joshua. And in Joshua, you see the people of Israel coming into the promised land. Yet at the start in Joshua chapter 7, there's this dude called Achan. And he sins against God and it leads to the people of Israel being defeated at Ai. And that's got nothing to do with GBT. (laughs) From then on, that place is known as the Valley of Achor. It means valley of trouble. So that place from then on represented a place of sin, defeat, and judgment for Israel. And Israel had to pass through the valley of Achor as they entered the promised land. And God is now saying to Hosea, I'm going to take this place of trouble, this place of sin, this place of defeat and judgment into a doorway of hope into a new future. You know, Israel would soon be led off into captivity, but what does God say to his children when they're downcast in captivity? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Today, do we have those valleys of achor in our lives? Places of sin, defeat, defeat, and judgment? Do we feel stuck in a valley of trouble? God is saying today, I want to turn those places into doorways of hope, into a new future. You know, for me, over the last couple of years, I feel like I've been stuck in a valley of defeat. And the cry of my heart is that God would turn it into a doorway of hope. And the cross is the ultimate valley of Acor. It's a place of death and defeat where through Jesus' resurrection, he blows the door of sin, death, and shame and opens up a doorway of hope for us. And today we need to make come to the cross maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time and invite God to take that place of trouble in your life, that place of defeat and transform it into a doorway of hope, into a new future. Verse 16, on that day, says the Lord, you will call me my husband and you will no longer call me my Baal. Verse 16 says, on that day, and it's a repeated phrase throughout chapter 2 and looks forward to the time when the bridegroom the true king in the line of David, which is talked about in Hosea chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus returns for his bride. And the whole of the scriptures are pointing to a day when God will defeat evil and will break into history and fully establish his rule and reign over all people and the whole of creation. The Bible describes this as the ultimate wedding. Let's look at the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like the loud pearls of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. God is calling us today to become his bride by pledging our lives to him and faithfully living to that pledge every day. We are the bride of Christ, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We're therefore called to make ourselves ready for the heavenly bridegroom. Let's get back to Hosea. Verse 16 says that on that day you will call me my husband and no longer my Baal, or your version say, may say my master. And Hosea is playing on words here. Because my master or my bail has a double meaning. The first meaning is the legal position of a husband. God wants to transform that formal legal relationship into one of mutual love and affection. When God says, You will call me my husband, the Hebrew word there is ishi, it's a term of affection. But that word, my Baal or my master, has another meaning because Baal was the title, the name of the Canaanite fertility God who the Israelites had turned to. So God is not just saying here, I want a relationship of mutual affection, but he's also wanting an exclusive relationship. He wants the Israelites to turn from other gods and worship him only. Are there things in our own lives today which have taken our affections away from God? Are we worshipping other things apart from him? Today God is saying, I want to be your ishi. I want to be your husband. Finally, let's have a quick look at verses 19 and 20. And I will take you for my wife forever. I'll take you for my wife in righteousness and in justice In steadfast love and in compassion, I will take you for my wife in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Verses 19 and 20, repeat that phrase, I will take you for my wife or I will betroth you three times and in Hebrew, repetition is a sign of intensity. So in verse 14, God wants to allure his people back. Now he wants to marry her and he wants to marry her forever and the language of verses of 19 and 20 is that of the bride price, the gifts that the bridegroom is going to give his, his, his bride. The gifts are both the qualities that God brings to his side of the marriage, but they're also the things that he implants in us. So they have their roots in God and his character, but they have their fruit when they're implanted in us. Let's quickly have a look at the five gifts that the bridegroom gives us in these uh, verses. The first gift is that "sedeq" in Hebrew, righteousness. Righteousness means being declared right in God's sight. It's his acquittal, his acceptance of us. Derek Kidner says this, God's righteousness is creative, stepping in to put the very worst things right. On the cross, There was a great exchange that took place. Jesus took on himself all that we had done wrong and gave us his righteousness. And as the bride of Christ, our new identity is righteous in God's sight. We're accepted by him and it's out of that new identity we seek to live holy lives set apart for him. Let's look at the second engagement gift, mishpat, justice, justice. You know, God is the just judge. And Psalm 36 says his justice is like the depths of the sea. And the central meaning of justice is putting everything right. It's straightening out those things that have become twisted and corrupted. God is the God of justice. And as we've looked at, when he comes and brings his kingdom in its fullness, he will put everything right right. But as the bride of Christ, we're called to work for God's justice in the world today. To work to straighten out those things that have become twisted and corrupted. That's our bridal vocation. Let's look at the third gift. Third gift of the bridegroom in Hebrew is hesed. Your version may say love, but hesed is so much more than that. It's God's covenant love, his loving kindness. One author said this, it's the consistent, ever faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, one-way love of God. And hesed is one of the most important words in the whole of the Old Testament. One rabbi suggests that the best English word to translate hesed is loyalty, loyalty. It's God's covenant loyalty because of his love for his bride. You know, when our girls were younger, we got them a copy of the brilliant Jesus Storybook Bible, which has the line in it, God loves us with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Today, God loves you and me with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love. And today we need to receive afresh that hesed, an impartation of his love. Because as we receive the love of the bridegroom, it empowers us as his bride to love him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and love our neighbours of ourselves and pass on God's hesed. Over the last few weeks in our local area, there have there have been two suicides that have struck Helen and I. In 2021, there were 5,219 suicides registered in the UK. That was 307 more than in 2020. The overall suicide rate was 10.5 per 100,000, and the male suicide rate was 15.8 per 100,000. The world is crying out to know the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. The fourth gift is Raham, God's compassion. It's the warmest of all terms for mercy. God is a God of compassion. In the Old Testament, one of God's names was El Rahum, the God of compassion. Often in the Gospels, we see that Jesus was moved with compassion. Compassion is just not about feeling sorry for somebody. It's about being moved in your guts, the seat of your emotions. And compassion is a revelation of God's heart for something or someone that moves you to action. You know, God's compassion for his bride moved him to send Jesus to rescue and restore us. Today, God wants to use us as his hands and his arms, reaching out to pour compassion on hurting and needy people. Finally, the fifth gift is emuna, God's faithfulness, his steadfastness, his sureness. Gomer had been unfaithful to Hosea and Israel had been unfaithful to God. However, God is faithful to us all along. He is the faithful one. The bridegroom is faithful and comes alongside us in his faithfulness, calling us to be faithful to him and his calling. And at the end of verse 20, there's what seems like a throwaway line. And you shall know the Lord. Or your version may say, and you will acknowledge the Lord. But it's not a throwaway line. Derek Kidner says it's one of the crowning promises of the new covenant. Get this, the word here to know is yadah. It's an intimate word. Yadah is used in the Bible for sexual intimacy. So in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And Adam knew Eve, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, and they had a son. This is an intimate relationship with Yahweh, the faithful covenant keeping God. Our bridegroom God wants to know us today in an intimate way, not in the sense of Jesus is my boyfriend but in a sense of deep relationship where we know God and are known by him. God wants us for his bride. He's given us his righteousness, his justice, his love, his compassion, his faithfulness, so that we can be in an intimate relationship with him. Do you yada God today? Is your relationship one of intimate communion? Or are we just going through the motions? I've got a passion for the Bible and for theology and knowing about God. But the challenge to me today is do I know God in an intimate way? Chapter ends in verses 22 and 23 with God reversing those negative names that he'd given to Hosea's children and telling the people that they are loved by him and they respond to his proposal. They say, I do. As the bridegroom is down on one knee proposing afresh, they say, you are my God. What in the band come back up? In chapter three, we see all this work out and Hosea goes and pays the price to bring, buy back Goma who had probably ended up in slavery. Hosea literally enacts God's love. A price must be paid for Hosea's relationship to be restored. And God paid the price to restore a relationship with us, a ransom price that cost him everything. In 1 Peter it says this, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. God paid the ultimate price to buy back his bride. And today he wants us to say yes to him. Let's stand.